11 Marines and a sailor coming home to America in boxes, in coffins. Our first American casualties in Afghanistan in a year and a half. In a way, it was inevitable. With a weak commander-in-chief who is a confirmed, almost pathological liar, with woke military leadership who care more about their virtue signaling than war fighting, and a liberal press, a media that doesn't seem to give a damn until it's way too late. Yes, 11 Marines, one sailor killed today, two suicide explosions, we believe, right outside the Kabul airport. One at the Abbey Gate, uh, an important checkpoint where a lot of the evacuees were coming through, and another at the Barron Hotel. Uh, we're hearing a, a new group involved. It's called ISIS-K. Have you heard of ISIS-K? I actually haven't heard about ISIS in a long time, but now we have ISIS-K on the scene. Donald Trump essentially rid the world of ISIS, but now ISIS-K is back. So it took pretty much all day for Joe Biden to figure out what he was going to say, how he was going to say it. And uh, it was vintage Joe Biden, plenty of big talk, plenty of awkwardness and weird laughing, but uh, we'll hear some of it. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. I've also ordered my commanders to develop operational plans to strike ISIS-K assets, leadership, and facilities. We will respond with force and precision at our time, at the place we choose, in the moment of our choosing. Here's what you need to know. These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans who are there. We will get our Afghan allies out. And our mission will go on. America will not be intimidated. Well, time is running out. We got to get out on August 31st. And I've heard this kind of talk before. You have too. What is it really added up to? More from President Biden. Thank you. May God bless you all and may God protect his troops and all those standing watch for America. We have so much to do. It's within our capacity to do it. We just have to remain steadfast. Steadfast. We will complete our mission, and we will continue after our troops are withdrawn to find means by which we can find any American wishes to get out of Afghanistan. We will find them and we will get them out. Well, this display of anything but steadfastness, this weakness is uh, positively dangerous. It was Joe Biden all over the place tonight. I'll take a few more questions and, uh, but you, sir. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, you, uh, okay. you. Stuff like that. Now, some of uh, his points, I believe we're getting out still, they say by August 31st. Yes, we are receiving security help from the Taliban. How about that? Finally, one reporter stood up and uh, really put it to him. This is uh, Ducey, and he's pretty good. I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened. 
of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you one day say these things. You know, as well as I do, that the former president made a deal with the Taliban, that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1. In return, the commitment was made, and that was a year before. In return, he was given a commitment that the Taliban would continue to attack others, but would not attack any American forces. Remember that? I'm, I'm being serious. I, no, I, I'm asking you a question. Because before... No, 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 wait a minute. I'm asking you a question. Is that, is that accurate, the best of you or not? What? I think they have an issue that people are likely to get hurt. Some, as we've seen, have gotten killed, and that it is messy. What was with that moment of Zen in the middle of it? Look, uh, this is embarrassing, deeply, deeply concerning. The enemy, they can see weakness, they can sense it, and here it's totally, totally obvious. Now, from the Pentagon, quite frankly, not too impressive. The general in charge of CENTCOM spoke from Doha, Qatar. Today's violence was expected. I will tell you this, anytime you build a non-combatant evacuation plan like this, and you bring in forces, you expect to be attacked. So we expect, we, we, didn't, we, we thought this would happen sooner or later. It's tragic that it happened today. It's tragic there was this much loss of life. We are prepared to continue the mission. All right, yes, you would, this does happen, but um, there was something about that. I'm not so sure. Uh, what about more forces, uh, more supplies? And I've heard this from the beginning of the war in Afghanistan all the way back in 2001. We have everything we need. That's always the answer, just about. We assess we have the, the forces we need to protect ourselves there. I'm always in a constant dialogue with the secretary. If I needed anything else, I'd be talking to him immediately. But I think we have what we need to protect ourselves. I don't agree. Obviously not. Um, oh, as far as, uh, hey, mistakes made, We'll get to those in the future. They love to put these things off. They almost always do. I will simply note that before this attack, we had passed 104,000 people through. So this, this attack is one too many, but we will we'll evaluate what happened. We'll, we'll find ways to always get better. Later, 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 later. That always happens later. General Milley, yes, let's not play the blame game yet. Let's wait. As I said before, there's plenty of time to do AERs and key lessons learned and to delve into these questions with great detail. But right now is not that time. No, I think actually now is the time because I think we have had it with the talking points from the Pentagon. They have told us for years misinformation about Afghanistan, misinformation about Iraq. And this whole thing about someday we'll look into what went wrong. Someday never actually seems to uh, come around. Never does. Even Joe Biden says sooner or later we'll get to it. You don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow 
there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing. I don't know how that happens. You don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. It's kind of pathetic. Um, I want to talk about the troops, the Marines, the soldiers, the sailors, those who join right out of high school or right out of college, the service academies, ROTC. They are the very, very best. They're great people, men and women. I was privileged to be one of them for, uh, for a few years in the 1990s. Um, but today, right now, the focus seems to be on anything but war fighting, on anything but the mission. What are they consumed with? White extremism, white supremacy, sexual harassment, COVID, drunk driving, the United Federal Campaign, buy savings bonds. We load these guys up with so many ridiculous collateral duties that it's amazing they find the time to do as good a job as they do. But there are only so many hours in the day and we are breaking the military. I don't wanna wait. I think we should talk about it right now, and we will when I come back with former Green Beret Congressman Michael Waltz. He's been there, he's done that. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view, and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app, and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's The aftermath of the violence today, the suicide bombings right outside the Kabul airport that killed 11 Marines and one U.S. Navy medic. How horrific and how avoidable. Uh, I'd like to bring in Congressman Devin Nunez, Republican of California, House Intelligence Committee ranking member. Welcome back. How are you? Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Greg. Your thoughts about uh, what we have seen today and where we are right now strategically. Well, look, I think we have to first put it in perspective. This is the third deadliest day in a 20-year war. So how did that happen? Uh, if anybody paid attention closely to what Biden said, he said that this was the most efficient plan that the military generals and admirals gave him and uh, how to go about keeping the embassy safe and getting out of Afghanistan. Now, I don't believe that. I, I can't imagine that our military professionals said that. It just, it just can't be true, Greg. You have to know that. There's no possible way on God's green earth that you would ever give up Bagram. Bagram would be the last place that you would leave. Why? It's really simple because it was a protected airfield that gave us the capabilities to provide air support. So strategically right now, uh, there's not very many good strategies because we're having to build a damn air bridge from the Middle East and we're having to keep that up uh, for you know 24 seven uh, and look, with an air bridge, it's very, very difficult. So 
I don't know how we're going to finish this off. Uh, my guess is it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any any better. Uh, let's just hope and pray that because uh, that's about what we're down to uh, now or hopes and prayers, uh, which you saw Biden do that. I've never seen a president do a moment of silence with the press. I mean, what the hell is going on in this country? It was uh, it was totally bizarre. You know, I noticed that as well. He said there was, I think, complete supreme unanimity between everybody involved, all the generals, the military, the administration. That is impossible. It, That's totally it's impossible. It, it can't be true, Greg, and, and here's why. You, you know this. Uh, you always have to have a quick reaction force whenever we have an embassy, or, but especially in a war zone. So, you know, when we deploy military assets, we, have to have, we always have to have a quick reaction force. And when we know this, remember what we learned in Benghazi. So why they would go down to such a minimal force and get rid of Bagram and leave tens of thousands of Americans on the ground there is really unfathomable. And look, he, he wasted no time to, to, to blame President Trump. But in there, he even admitted, he said that, well, we didn't lose any, but I don't think any of this is true, but I'm just kind of repeating what, what he said. He said, Biden said in this press conference earlier that you know, he blamed Trump because Trump gave him a, a May 1st deadline to get out or May 31st. Uh, and that's why we didn't lose any troops for the previous 12 months. Well, look, number one, he broke, he broke, according to him, he didn't even follow what the rule was, what the agreement was. So anyone who, and then in the same breath, he also says that no one trusts the, the Taliban. No one trusts the Taliban except for you, you moron. <laughs> You trust the Taliban because we're relying on the Taliban to protect our servicemen and women that are over there and help us try to get these people out of there. It's just completely bizarre and it makes no sense. So we've known for a while uh, that Joe Biden is incompetent. He seems to be, uh, well, we know he's a liar. Uh, we saw that throughout his career. So I want to put him aside for a moment because he knew that he'd be in way over his head. I want to talk about the military, the generals. You've dealt with them. You've talked to them on Capitol Hill. Uh, quite frankly, to me, lately, it seems like they're more caught up with uh, wokeism than war fighting. Uh, they talk about uh, COVID and sexual harassment more than the enemy and accomplishing the mission. I think we have a real cultural problem right now in the United States military. What do you think? Uh, look, I think you're exactly right. I always keep it simple, and you know this because of your time. Uh, I want our military to just do a few very basic things. One, win wars. Two, provide for defense. And three, stay the hell out of politics. And it looks like they're doing none of those. And in fact, they're fully engaging in number three and completely failing on one and two. One, winning a war. We lost this war. We didn't have to lose this war. Two, what deterrence are we possibly providing right now but showing the rest of America that we're completely weak and we have an imbecile as, as our president of the United States? And three, you have all of the military general and intelligence involved in this. Look, they've continued to say that, oh, the best of intelligence said X, Y, and Z. We didn't know this was going to happen. Nonsense. Uh, look, what's sadly had to happen over my time in the, on, in the intelligence community for the last decade is I've had to basically now read the tea leaves. You have to pull the politics out of these intelligence reports that you read. Then I have to actually call people who have open source information to get an idea of actually what's happening on the ground. And so you know as well as I do, the people that are on the ground who have been on the ground in that place over the course of the last 20 years, everybody knew that if you just go down to a small force at the Kabul airport, you are sitting in the valley of death. So if anyone in the military decided that we didn't need Bagram and that we could somehow 
evacuate people and protect that embassy, all of those people, generals, admirals, whatever, all those officers, whoever came up with that plan, if it's true, I don't believe it, but if it's true, their heads need to roll. And of course, you know, just to put the final touch on it, you know, military intelligence people running around talking about white supremacy, and that's the biggest problem the United States faces. This is what happens when reality sets in, because you can live in your own bubble with your propaganda press. But on the, in the real world, when we have people like Putin and Xi Jinping in China and killers like the Taliban and Al Qaeda and ISIS uh, in Afghanistan, the, you know what gets real. And that's what's happening here is this, this woke ideology, this cult has completely collapsed and you're witness, witnessing this. And when this happens, people die. And that's what happened today. I'm glad you are where you are because so much has to be done. Let me just ask you this. It doesn't look like Joe Biden is going to fire anybody. I think that's acknowledging defeat. It's acknowledging that something went wrong and they're still pushing that everything went according to contingency plan W. Um, do you think he's going to stick with the team? I mean, obviously people have to go, but I, I, I don't I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. What do you think? Well, look, because they have the press and the press bubble here, uh, there will be people on the conservative and, and, the, and the moderate or independent press, which only makes up about 5% in this country. They're the rest of the media is not going to be covering this, so there won't be the pressure put on them to get rid of anyone. Now, look, some of these people should resign in disgrace. Someone in there, like I just said earlier, someone in the DOD, in the military, these high-ranking positions, that, like the, the, the general sitcom general that had a press conference today, he has to know what Biden said today is not true. So I think some of these guys are going to have to decide, do they want to stay on this sinking ship and continue to be embarrassed by the commander-in-chief? It's bizarre, Congressman. You know, there are so many people in the military, and I'm talking particularly about generals, they will... They'll risk their lives for their country, but they often won't risk their careers for their country. It's an interesting kind of uh, contradiction in a way. But uh, Congressman Devin Nunez, we're, we're glad that you're where you are. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, sir. All the best. We'll be right back. I think what America says matters. What we say we're going to do in the context in which we say we're going to do it, that we do it, unless something exceptional changes. Oh, my. Uh, does that inspire confidence? No, the opposite, the very opposite. I'd like to bring in Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida, former Green Beret and member of the House Armed Services Committee. And there he is in Afghanistan. Sir, as you know, 11 Marines, one sailor, and uh, many hundreds potentially injured. What are your thoughts this evening? You know, honestly, it's somewhere between rage and grief and betrayal. Uh, to see the Commander-in-Chief approach this so feckless and weak is just... Uh, jaw-droppingly outrageous. Uh, to see him take responsibility, but yet blame Trump, blame Bush, and seemingly blame everyone else but himself, uh, this did not have to be this way. Uh, set aside the debate over withdrawal or staying, uh, 
you know, here, here's a couple of falsehoods that he continues to perpetrate. One, this May 1 withdrawal date. This administration has had no problem tearing up Trump deals, whether it is uh, Nord Stream 2, whether it is the Iran uh, policy, whether it's Keystone Pipeline, they've had no problem. Yet suddenly he's stuck with this one. And here's the, here's the thing with that deal, is there were conditions that Trump put in it. The Taliban had to agree to a ceasefire, they had to denounce al-Qaeda, uh, and they had to seriously sit down with the Afghan government. They had done none of those things. That's why President Trump left a small force to do counterterrorism and to back the Afghans. Uh, so that is an absolute falsehood. The other piece, I was just briefed yesterday that the Pentagon has a contingency in place to keep or to retake Bagram if necessary, just, yes, uh, just yesterday. That is a major air base, easily defendable, multiple airfields and not sitting in the in the middle of a four million person city like Kabul International is that cannot be defended. And finally, Biden is not authorizing our special operators to go get Americans in Kabul and to go get Americans outside of Kabul. So he's presented this no-win situation. Either we stay and continue to get hit in an indefensible position at, in Kabul International, or we go and we leave thousands of Americans behind and present a mass hostage situation the likes of 1979. It is outrageous and it's incompetent. So a couple of things. I'm hearing that we're down to less than 1,000 Americans in Afghanistan. Does that jibe with what you've heard? And let me also throw this in. You say taking back Bagram, that is actively under consideration. And uh, But what did that take? Like a lot of forces, maybe thousands more, uh, to secure it and to run it. That's right. So, so really, that comes down to the fundamental mission, is the mission to get every American out and to get as many of our Afghan partners out as we can, or is the mission just to get out on this arbitrary date? If the mission is no Americans left behind, then yes, you'll need some more forces to get a defendable, workable air base in Bagram. Uh, and, and then, you know, look, uh, the other piece is we're not going to proactively get them. Uh, in terms of the numbers, you know, the, the White House is doing this dance of, well, there are a number of them, perhaps thousands, that don't want to leave. Let me tell you what's really going on there is that they have extended family, and the Taliban will hunt down your family if they can't get to you. Uh, so that's the, that's the problem. But Jen Psaki, uh, Biden, and others will continue to parse these words and say, well, of the ones that wanted to leave, we're going to get them out. Well, who's going to leave their family behind? Uh, so this is a bunch of spin. It's lies. Uh, and and it's just absolute incompetence. Speaking of spin and sometimes lies, I want to talk to you as a veteran to another veteran. I'm becoming more and more frustrated with our military leaders, not the ones who are there, uh, not just the ones who are there now, like Millie, but generals going back years and years and years. I have a compilation of various statements that generals have been making about Afghanistan, both in Afghanistan and here, about the progress being made there over the years. To me, this strikes me as spin and double talk and not being straight with the American people. I'd like to pray, play it for you. I think uh, that the development of the Afghan army is on a very good path right now. We, we've made tremendous strides, incredible progress in the last 20 months. The solid partnership has been the thing that has been really striking for me all around the country.
It's fair to ask if we're winning in Afghanistan. I believe the answer is yes, and several facts allow me to say that with confidence. And we've seen some great, great uh, progress in some of the operations based even at the tactical level on the intelligence uh, structure. They showed me the positive changes they have helped bring about, the villages they can now enter, the, uh, the Afghan police and forces they are training and trying to improve. Congressman, this strikes me has a lot of bureaucratic swamp talk, and they know what their political leaders or their political masters want to hear, and then they say it. Yeah, well, I think there's some truth to that. Every commander wants to declare success on his tour and on his watch, right? That's how you get promoted uh, to, to the next level. I think if you are really honest with people, uh, and when you're honest with the American people, you tell them, we're fighting an ideology. It's, it, we're fighting an idea. It took decades to defeat communism and fascism. Uh, and it's going to take a long time to defeat Islamic extremism. People may not like to hear that. You may not be able to get that done on your one-year tour or time in command. Uh, but that's what we're dealing with. And the intelligence today that we were just briefed uh, is very clear that al-Qaeda intends to fully return. Uh, this cancer is going to spread. They are aligned at the hip with the Taliban, and they intend to hit the homeland again. So what options do we have now? We're in a worse place than we were September 10th, 2001, because now we gave away our bases, our allies are being hunted down, and we have a terrorist army armed with billions of dollars of American equipment. Uh, it, it, it is, it's outrageous, it's an incompetent, and future American soldiers are gonna have to go back to deal with it, and their blood will be on every one of these leaders' hands. There they are, getting out of jail, all those fighters, some of them former Gitmo detainees. Well, Congressman Waltz, I am, I am very pleased that you are on the House Armed Services Committee and that a person of your caliber is in Congress. Many, many thanks, sir. We'll keep up the fight. We'll be right back. So, last April, May, look at that, withdrawing all nice and orderly from Bagram Airfield. The military leaving, of course, before civilians. This is a great big fiasco, obviously, in the making. Compare this to today. Carnage, horror, 11 Marines killed in a suicide blast, one sailor, hundreds wounded, the death toll may go up. What happens next? Where are we? I'd like to bring in two of our favorites, Sebastian Gorka, former White House advisor in the Trump administration, host of the Gorka Reality Check show. And uh, he spent a lot of time in Afghanistan watching the so-called nation building for the U.K. And Jim Hansen, president of Security Studies Group. He served in the U.S. Special Forces. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, Sebastian, first to you. Again, extensive time on the ground in Afghanistan. You see what's going on. You see what we were told. What are your thoughts tonight? That This is just so predictable. Let me just tell you one story. So I, I'd left the British Territorial Army, but I was still engaged in national security affairs. 
And five years into the GWAT, the war on terror, I was invited by NATO to come and have a look at the great nation building we're doing, Greg, in Afghanistan. And I was taken around four different provinces. I got to speak to the U.S. troops, to our allies. And something didn't gel with me. And the last place I stopped was the military academy that we built, taxpayer dollars built, outside Kabul next to the old Soviet tank graveyard. I got a wonderful PowerPoint presentation from a major strong in the U.S. Army. Yes, that was his name. Lots of lovely photographs of the Afghan security forces we graduated. And something didn't gel for me. So I, I said, thank you very much. I signed a waiver so I could go outside, over, outside of the wire by myself. And I did a little bit of due diligence. And I, this is just one illustration of why what happened happened the way it happened. After every graduation of Afghans, we trained. NCO, senior NCOs officers, when they got their last wadge of uh, per diem in U.S. dollars, more than 40 percent of them, Greg, would disappear back to their tribal areas, back to their militias. We basically trained the bad guys to take down the host nation we had funded. And one last figure, just so people understand, we have invested 20,000 U.S. servicemen killed or injured, and $60 million spent every day since 9-11 in Afghanistan. This, what happened in Kabul, would not have happened under the watch of my former boss, Donald Trump. And the fact that Marines die today is an utter disgrace and an indictment of Joe Biden and everybody who works for his stinking administration. Did you say $60 million a day? A day. A day. That is uh, a day. It's incredible. It is incredible. Uh, uh, Jim Hansen, president of the Securities Studies Group. What do you think? I think this shows the absolute, not just folly, but malfeasance of the Biden administration deciding to outsource security for the evacuation to the Taliban. They made a deal in Qatar with the Taliban and basically paid them off and clear, cleared the way for them to waltz into Kabul and take over the whole country by grounding the Afghan Air Force. And in return, they were supposed to guarantee safe passage for our people and allies and visa holders to get to the airport. Well, guess what? If this bomber today was ISIS-K, as they have claimed, he still had to pass through both of them multiple Taliban checkpoints. So the people that Biden made a deal with, the people the Qataris paid a plane load of cash to to make this deal, ripped us off and got Americans killed by letting those people pass through. Biden has to resign. There is no recovering from this. We can't have a doddering, drooling, incompetent commander in chief. Uh, there are growing calls for that. Um, and I'd love to see him go. But I want to play you something from General McKenzie today. If we can pull this down, please. General McKenzie, he is CENTCOM commander and uh, a familiar tone from the generals that we've heard over the years. Uh, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and hear from uh, General McKenzie of the Marine Corps. We assess we have the, the forces we need to protect ourselves there. I'm always in a constant dialogue with the secretary. If I needed anything else, I'd be talking to him immediately. But I think we have what we need to protect ourselves. I just heard this so many times before. Uh, their mission is talking points, Sebastian Gorka. Uh, they always have everything that they need. And I just feel like we're not getting straight talk from the generals. And we haven't in a very long time. You've worked very closely with them. You saw them at the White House. 
What do you think? Oh, Greg, I spent six years as a DOD civilian teaching irregular warfare and counterterrorism before I joined the Trump administration. We have a class, a generation of woke generals. I've had generals tell me that the greatest threat we face is global warming and climate change. And I know one thing. They all have to be fired, cashiered, and kicked out of the services. Anybody over the rank of 05 or 06 has to go. The good guys, the majors, the senior NCOs, we rebuild the American army. And I tell you one thing, we do not have the capacity to protect our forces and the Americans stuck in that theater right now. If Donald Trump, I had Donald Trump, I had the president on my radio show yesterday, and I know one thing, if he were in the White House right now, he would have already deployed the hammers of hell. The little birds would be flying. The Spectre gunships would be exacting retribution right now from ISIS-K, the Taliban, you name it. And we wouldn't leave that theater until every one of those bastards is dead. Now we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing a, a senile old man, a husk of a man, reading notes today saying, and this is the person I've been instructed to take a question from. This <laughs> is the commander in chief. Yeah, yeah, that was... That was something else. He literally said it just like Sebastian just said it. He picked up a, he thought he was being cute or maybe he was just lost. To be continued, gentlemen, thank you very, very much. Sebastian Gorka and Jim Hansen will be right back. Well, a big day in this case. Ashley Babbitt, of course. The Trump supporter, 35 years old, who was shot and killed on January 6th inside the Capitol. We've all seen the video and we've all been wondering about this case. What could possibly have justified this shooting? I see no justification. And who is the cop who shot her? Why did they keep that from us? Well, finally, it has been unveiled, not by the U.S. Capitol Police, but by NBC News. And there he is, Lieutenant Michael Byrd has come forward to speak finally about this case. He is the Capitol Hill police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. I am joined now by Aaron Babbitt, who is married to Ashley Babbitt. Aaron, a good friend of Newsmax. And Aaron, um, welcome back. Um, I know you've known this name for a long time, but what do you th why do you think he came public now, made himself known officially? You know, I don't, I don't really know, Greg. I had my suspicions, uh, you know, when it first came out, that it was possibly going to be a distraction from the dumpster fire going off in uh, Afghanistan right now. But it seems like ISIS said, hold my beer on that one. Um, I just wanted to say I, too, am a uh, proud, you know, proud uh, member of the Marine Corps, you know, of, the, of that legacy. So like you, um, to lose those 11 Marines in that dock today is just tragic. And now I got to watch this interview later tonight. So we'll see if my TV survives the night. It was a tough day for Marines, Marine. And uh, well, look, actually, um, if you're OK with it, we're on the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. We recorded the interview. It just happened on NBC News. We have it. We're going to hear his voice for the first time. If that's OK with you, uh, are you ready? That's fine. I actually read it. Yeah, I read it in its entirety. So I'm prepared. All right. You've you've read the transcript and uh, now we're going to yeah. see and hear him and He'll tell his story. Try to. Uh, let's go. This is the shooter of your late wife, Ashley Babbitt, Lieutenant Michael Leroy Bird. Were you afraid that day? I was very afraid. What are you hearing on your radio? I'm hearing about the breaches of different uh, barricaded areas, 
uh, officers being overrun, officers being down. Did you ever hear a call or a report of shots fired during any of this? As a matter of fact, I did. There was reports of shots fired through the house main door onto the floor of the chamber. So far, neither here nor there. Any impressions uh, uh, of him? Uh, I don't have much of an impression of him. This was a soft-guided, handheld, well-rehearsed interview. We, we all know that. Um, but I did pick up three things out of, you know, when I briefly read that. Um, one, he says that he couldn't fully see her hands, but I did also didn't know what was in her backpack. Her hands were first, dude. So you couldn't see her hands, but you were worried about her backpack. Again, you know, he says he was screaming and yelling. His, his throat hurt so bad from yelling commands to stop. But he says he couldn't understand what people were saying on the other side of the door. So how would they expect to understand what you're saying if you're yelling? And then I'll take it a step further. Take your damn mask off. If, if you're, He's more worried about COVID than shooting my wife. If, if this is a life or death situation, you're about to use your firearm, take your mask off. She could have been deaf. You never know. You have no idea. At that point in time, take your mask off and voice, voice your. Um... Say it. Say yeah. it so you can be heard. Uh, you can't pull the trigger without issuing a warning. And I did not hear one. Listen, um, you've read it. Quite frankly, I, I, I have not seen the transcript. Here's uh, here's more of uh, Michael Byrd, the shooter of Ashley. I was taking a tactical stance. You're ultimately hoping that your commands will be complied with, and unfortunately, they were not. When you fired, wh what could you see? Where were you aiming? You're taught to aim for center mass. Uh, the subject was sideways, and I could not see her full motion of her hands or anything. Um, so I guess her movement, you know, caused the uh, discharge to, to fall where it did. And what did you think this individual was doing at that, at that moment? She was posing a threat. Posing a threat how? How? I, 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 yeah. I, don't, think, I don't know if Lester pressed him on that. He didn't. Why would he? Why would he? He said another part of it was that uh, he had no idea what was on the other side of that door, but he still shot. Uh, if I worked for this, if I worked with this guy, I'd be terrified to be around him. He shouldn't have a gun. And by the way, I, I understand that he's been losing his gun uh, throughout his career. He may have been disciplined for that. Uh, there's more from this interview. As I said, your name is, has been on the Internet for some time in an, in an unofficial way. A lot of rumors, a lot of accusations, one of which is that you had some sort of political motive. Um, you, were, you were a political wow. operative. I do my job for Republican for Democrat, for white, for black, red, blue, green. Um, you're convinced, by the way, that this is the shooter, right? I mean, there, you oh, talked yeah. about the internet. This oh, is yeah. the guy. This is the guy. Yeah, yeah that's him. All right. Um, says he does it for both sides. It's kind of the thing to say. Like you said, you know, it's been seven months. He's crying. What'd you make of the tears? Yeah. That's, I was wondering if he was going to cry. All these cops, they seem to cry lately. They all these, cry. Yeah, in these public settings. There's something kind of, I think, made up about it. Yeah, he's, he's complaining that uh, you know, he's getting threats. Uh, well, join the club, bud. 
I've been getting them since January 7th, and the only thing I did on January 6th was become a widower. And I've had death threats and most hateful crap thrown at me every single day, sometimes five or ten a day. So I, I, I don't have sympathy in that aspect. There's, uh, I believe, one more from this interview with Lester Holt. Capitol Police in their uh, press release after exonerating you said your actions potentially saved members and staff from serious injury and possible death. What was it like to hear those words, to see those words? Those words meant a lot because that's exactly what I did on that day. That was my mission. That was what I prepared for. And it's rewarding and refreshing to hear that. Aaron, I got to ask you something. And uh, it might be awkward for us to talk about it, but uh, he happens to be African-American, black. And I believe that that is a factor in why his name was not released by the Capitol Hill police. In almost every controversial police-involved shooting, certainly of something of this magnitude, we find out the name of the shooter officially, but not in this case. You think there's a racial component to that? I'm going to respectfully not touch that one, Greg. Um, I'm just going to go with what I've said all along, was that I, I think that they've known it's been a bad shooting all this time. So they've kept him quiet and just tried to make it go away, but we're not going away. You know, in the Capitol Police, they exonerated him. So DOJ, D.C. Metro already called it good. You know, he's fine. And then we're supposed to believe the secret police department that doesn't respond, have to respond to FOIA. It did an actual, you know, investigation that would hold water. Get the hell out of here, man. Aaron Babbitt, you have millions of supporters. Um, Hang in there. And I'd like to put this website up, please. Um, If you'd like to support Aaron and his family in their legal fight, www.givesendgo.com. Givesendgo.com slash justice for Ashley. Givesendgo.com slash justice for Ashley. Uh, I understand that lawsuit is being prepared and will be filed at the appropriate time against the Capitol Police. Aaron Babbitt, we are, again, sorry for your loss. This was quite a day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Greg. Take care. Talk soon. All right, Aaron. And we will be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Thanks for watching. It was a tough day today. Uh, Look, I'm going to be off until after Labor Day. So you'll be in good hands with our our fill-in hosts around here. They're great. And I will see you after Labor Day. Stand by for Stinchfield. Thank you very much.